This episode's brought to you by everynowheremusic.com. Yep, you got that right. That's yours truly. So if this is an endeavor you'd like to support, please come and sign up for my newsletter at everynowheremusic.com. Every nowhere or every now here, depending on whichever way you prefer to look at it. There are so many good things within this episode. I'm almost worried I might mess it up by trying to get into overtly superfluous descriptions of it all. Esther is such a remarkably accomplished, down-to-earth, grounded and balanced musician. And you really hear that word balance quite a few times and that is not a coincidence. Um, true to the motto of what we see on this podcast, the conversation speaks for itself. But that being said, may I just uh, remind you? that um, we are an independent shop so if you want to support us please don't forget to go subscribe to our show on itunes or spotify Uh, give us a review if you're feeling particularly generous and this is also me reminding you that this show is brought to you by the holistic musician academy.com and uh, for those of you who still don't know we have a bunch of courses on there aimed at musicians and patrons like you and we are um and all listeners of the podcast get a discount if you're clever enough to find a link to these courses through the podcast. This episode is also brought to you by everynowheremusic.com. That's my musician website, my artist website, everynowheremusic.com. And um, yeah, that's about it. Without much further ado, please welcome Esther Rojas. Hello, fellow beings. Welcome loading a safe space to attempt honest raw and authentic conversation in homage to the ancient act of stoking a sacred fire we are officially on tape welcome esther oh thank you i'm so excited to be here well we are super excited to have you thanks for making this happen um okay let me try and get this straight where are you Today we are in New Orleans, in the port, in the ship. So awesome. You want to tell us about how, how this whole thing is panning out? What brings you to New Orleans and why has your life been so dynamic of late? <laughs> yes, it's been so dynamic for the last 10 years, I believe. So right now I am uh, working as a bass player for a the musical theater here in the uh, Breakaway, which is a... Um, ship one of the ships for the ncl norwegian uh, uh company oh, awesome. right so uh, yeah it's been two months almost since mm-hmm. i am in this adventure which i am loving actually i adapted really fast to this life mm-hmm. and uh i think it's a it's a it's a good opportunity job opportunity for a musician yeah uh like me <laughs> um, you know, I'm uh, uh, besides uh, of being an arranger, I am also a performer. I play the bass. Mm-hmm. So after pandemic, you know, everybody kind of had a rough time. So to get on my feet, I decided to join this um, this ship as a musician, and I am here in New Orleans today. Beautiful. How many ports have you hit in the past few weeks? Um. Huh. Uh, uh, let me see, like eight, probably. We went to Aruba, Cozumel, Cosamaya, 
um, Costa Rica, among others. Okay, my next question is, where can I sign up? <laughs> um, uh, there is well, there are a lot of uh, music agencies, but also there is a web page. I For believe real? it's in NCL. Yeah, NCL. Um, yeah, I think it's there. I might just look that up, believe it. In, in a way, I mean, for someone like me, um, it's almost like the dream job, you know. I mean, traveling. Yeah. The the only the only part which I'm slightly skeptic of me personally is I'm a crap swimmer, so I. I, I, I oh, me too. No way. <laughs> really? Me too. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you're not scared. You're not worried. But it doesn't matter. No. Uh, no, 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 I am not. No, Good. I am a fearless person, actually. Yes, it is very evident in your demeanor. <laughs> so le le let's, yes. le let's unpack that a little. Where do we best start? Where, where would you say your musical journey started? Well, my musical journey started since, uh, since I was born because my parents, both of my parents are musicians. Awesome. Um, yeah, my mom is was a an opera singer and wow. violinist and my dad studied a lot of instruments and he graduated um as a pedagogist mm -hmm. music pedagogist so mm -hmm. my brothers and i we had like music in our lives since we were born so cool are they the founders yeah. of the rojas uh, by the way before i uh, go ahead am i pronouncing your name right rojas or how yes you? perfect yeah okay um, yeah, <laughs> I wasn't sure. Um, I saw a few pictures of the Roja School of Music. Was that founded by a family? That is a my bro one of my brother's um, uh, uh, companies. Um, he is a piano player, like amazing piano player, and he was also an entrepreneur. And he moved to Texas. Actually, my whole family is in Texas, hmm. and he created this uh, music school with his wife. And they are doing amazing. Mm. Yeah. No, it's so good to hear. Um, yeah. I try not to sound like a music journalist when I ask these questions, <laughs> because this isn't an interview. I try and make this obvious. I'm not a journalist. These are not interviews. I'm a musician. I'm just trying to get people to get a behind-the-scenes look into how musicians think and what their yes, real lives sure, are. Sure. But I, I yeah. would, like like me, I'm... I'm uh, my parents are both doctors, you know, so I had to really find, oh. yeah, like, um, it took me decades to figure out what being a professional musician even means. Do you think um, your family having already set some, or having already planted some seeds in this branch um, helped you in your journey? Yes, I think so. Um Especially the talent and the discipline as well. Mm. And also, um, well, there are a lot of musicians that um, only have the academy part. Mm -hmm. And all, many other musicians that haven't joined an academy, haven't studied music like in a, in a college or something like that. They are from the streets. We, we, yeah. we say that in Colombia. Yeah. But fortunately, we have both worlds. So good. And um, yes, I think it makes a difference. Like, for example, now in this job that I have, um, I feel so confident because I have all the experience uh, playing bass in different settings, actually. Mm -hmm. Not only like rock or jazz or salsa, 
but I've been playing in everything <laughs> for the last 20 years. So I am grateful to my parents for teaching me discipline and also being like a, a holistic musician, actually, I Beautiful. would say. <laughs> the versatility of all of it all. Yes, yes. I have to say, and correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like Latin American musicians bring an inherently versatile set of musical yes. skills generally um, it, it's one of the very few parts of the world where the harmonic and rhythmic concepts are equally complex yes that is true um i would say that in latin america the harmonic part well you can see it in latin jazz for example with influences from jazz of course and mm -hmm. in uh, music from brazil like bossa nova mm -hmm. but harmonically like for example in my country and uh, peru and ecuador and all of the other countries the harmonies are not that complex but rhythmically yes it's a uh, it's amazing that like, we have this african heritage right in mm -hmm. our our rhythms so yeah um, it, it, the harmonies may not be as complex as maybe, I don't know, uh, in some other part. I don't want to say something silly here. Um, but, but, but harmony is part of the musical culture. It's not oh, yes. a foreign concept, yes. right? I say that because no, no, no. uh, you and I actually met during discussions uh, over a paper I was writing, which I was yeah. screenshots I was posting, uh, of which screenshots I was, I was posting on Instagram, and we started talking there. And it's actually something I've been really kind of digging into uh, in, in my ancestral culture, for example. Rhythm is like mm -hmm. super advanced, but harmonic concepts mm -hmm. are. Uh, you know, are still considered to be like a foreign element um, yes. in music generally. I've often wondered, because South Asia and Latin America, they do have some, some parallels in their history in a lot of ways. Both are ex-colonies, uh, um, colonial yeah. uh, parts of the world. But I often wonder why did... India not manage why is India still I don't know I'm, I'm going to say a lot of shitty things now which I'm going to get shot for I think but I've always okay let me put it this way I've often been in ardent admiration of the manner in which Latin America has grown its own musical culture in a much more mm. balanced manner mm. let me let me tell you something okay. if you feel admiration for our uh, music uh, it happened to me to really, really, really admire your music. I had the opportunity to be in India uh, five years ago mm -hmm. um, as a music teacher uh, in Chennai, in an academy, music academy in Chennai. Oh, and I was at, yes, I didn't tell you, right? <laughs> no, no, uh, I, I, noticed, oh I noticed very, very vaguely, by the way, uh, on your Facebook uh, page that you had lived yes. in Chennai for a while. Which academy was yes. this? Uh, Swarnabhumi Academy right. Music. Right, okay, gotcha. Mm -hmm. Yes, I went there to teach for one semester after I graduated from school in, in, in Boston. Mm. And oh my God, I really, really, really would like to go back and and learn some of you, your music because it's absolutely amazing and very complex it is. to my ears. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's amazing. Yeah, it, it is amazing. It is um, no doubt whatsoever. Uh, it is um, also 
complex to a degree where it sometimes does my head in. <laughs> it's not just the musical <laughs> complexities, it's also the sociocultural complexities of it of all. Of course. Um, there's just so many... I mean, India used to be a continent, you know, and then eventually got packed into mm. one republic. So actually, even... Mm. Specific regions of a state have their own culture, which is which can be drastically yes. different from something else. Yes, so, very amazing. Your country. Th- <laughs> thank you. Uh, th- that is very kind of you. To be clear, I'm actually German, so technically I'm, yes, I'm of right, Indian sorry. ancestry. No, but I get you. I mean, India definitely my uh, my uh, well ancestral country it is definitely yes. one of the. Like culturally, one of the most complex and richest heritages there ever. Right. But um, let's talk about you. We keep we keep going on these tangents on this podcast. <laughs> My apologies to anyone who's listening. Um, but uh, we we were talking about how growing up in a musical family gave you a sense yes. of balance and discipline from the very onset that helped you yes. grow your career. Were there any ways it limited you though in your approach? Um, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. Awesome. Um, as I said, fortunately, my parents immersed us in the, like in our uh, country's music, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, so from an early age, I was playing bambucos and cumbias and vallenatos from my country, right? Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I used to study classical violin. I was trained as a classical violinist. So I had both sides of the coin, right? So no, no, I I don't think, I can't think of any limitations uh, of that part. Yeah. You know, I was watching one of your performances a a few, a couple of hours back just to get a a deeper vibe for the kind of music you do. It is. No, uh, thank you. It is. It is. You're really badass. Oh, oh my gosh. Thank <laughs> That's you. That's the only way I can say. No, really. I mean, it is so inspiring oh. to see like, like, like the manner in which the, the elegance and, and fluidity with which oh. you conduct these huge bands while playing bass oh. yourself. It is. I mean, this is, um, this is the result of... Like, a lot of dedication and a lot of work. So um, as someone who's never, for example, conducted a big band, I mean, I always, yeah. I've always played in smaller ensembles mostly, although, except uh-huh. for the odd gig in a big band. Um, I've always wondered to grow a skill set like that, where does one start? Oh, my God. I think, yeah, uh, I am blessed because, again, I started from my childhood right and i mm-hmm. think that i developed these things uh, these skills like organically and naturally because mm. um uh, uh well besides the talent I, there is a discipline right mm-hmm. so i've been in this music uh field for many 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 years mm-hmm. and as i said before i have both experiences like being a violinist in a in a classical music orchestra or ensemble, right? right, and also being able to play in popular ensembles in in, in bars and and uh, in the streets, right? Yeah, uh, I think both experiences 
um, led me to this point <laughs> where I can conduct a big band, write arrangements for a big band, and also play the bass at the same time, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I, I am blessed, yeah, for this. Well, a lot of us are blessed, but not everyone in, cashes in on their blessings at the risk of sounding somewhat, <laughs> um, um, I don't know, transactional. But um, I'm still curious, though. One, th- it's very clear that you all, you know, you obviously had a very well-rounded education where both the academic side and the real-life street side of musicianship were yes. part, an inherent part of your education. Did you ever yeah. find these to be in conflict with each other? Uh, not for myself, but I did listen to a lot of uh, music teachers like maestros saying that if you played popular music that was going to screw up with your technique, for example. Mm-hmm. And uh, I also can think about the, unfortunately, the, um, how can I say, like the people that belongs to a classical uh, field, like they kind of diminish people that belong to the popular side of the music, if, if I'm being honest yeah. uh there is like uh there is that always people are comparing uh, themselves you know we have this habit of comparing or giving value to other to another thing right mm-hmm. to me music is the same of course we have tons of styles in the world right but to me music is a demo- democracy uh and i value playing a merengue and playing uh, Bossa Nova, uh, uh, again, uh, different styles. And uh, to me, different styles appeal to different emotions in myself. But at the end, it's music, right? Mm -hmm. So um, what was your question again? Sorry. (laughs) I got lost. (laughs) No, not at all. No, I didn't. uh, You didn't sound lost at all, Esther. That was exactly what I was... Uh, trying to get a feel for if you found uh, conflicts in the approaches towards music oh, no. fields. Not to me, not to me. But as I said, I know a lot of um, colleagues that uh, diminish uh, when people play, like, for example, reggaeton. <laughs> yeah. Or people that play jazz. Yeah. Right? Mm, interesting. Yeah. Is that an experience you've had primarily in Colombia or is that a universal pattern? Um, I think it's a universal, or at least in my experience. Mm-hmm. I, I, well, I'm from Colombia, born and raised. I yes. went to college there, but also I went to college in, in Berkeley, College of Music in Boston. Yeah. I know. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I've seen this in the real life as well. Like, as I said, I had the opportunity to perform in both sides of the musical experience. And uh, in real life, I've seen how musicians tend to compare themselves. If I play salsa, oh, well, that is just salsa, Latin music, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, unfortunately... That mm-hmm. is what I've seen. 
Yeah, intimately familiar. Unfortunately, my experiences have proven that to be a bit of a universal phenomenon as well. I wonder where it comes from. I, it seems like an institutionalized <laughs> thing, just generations of institutionalized opinions being passed down and being accepted at face value, really. Yes, that's true. Uh, how do you incorporate the best of both worlds when you approach your music? Well, now that I am playing again musical theater, which is something that I don't do often, Mm -hmm. Right <laughs> now, I again tuned my mind to say, okay, this is different. This is not uh, like like one of the plays I'm I'm doing is um, is called Six. It's a musical theater type of play mm -hmm. made in London. It's a really really interesting one. the The story is amazing. It's fun. It's about Henry the Sixth of the Fifth uh, Wives, mm -hmm. and the music it's very strict. I have to play every note as it's written in the music charts. Right. I can't make up bass lines. I just have to be super disciplined and play what is written. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So now I am thinking, okay, I am taking this as a challenge to be disciplined in my mind mm -hmm. and also physically because I have to stand up for one hour and a little bit more and just play what is written, right? Sometimes mm -hmm. our minds wandering, we like to improvise or create things. It's our mind. But sometimes it is good to have a discipline. And uh, this particular job, I am taking this as, a, on, as an opportunity to work on my mind discipline. <laughs> is that a word we could unpack a little in your opinion what does discipline mean to you especially for someone like you with that degree and depth of versatility which you bring to someone like you what does the word discipline mean well now my discipline concept changed a little bit mm -hmm. because uh i used to think of a discipline like a punishment mm. Yes, that sometimes it seems like a punishment or torture. But now I found out recently that discipline is a balance. Yeah. I mean, you know that our brains just like to stay in a comfort zone. Mm -hmm. We really don't want to go like uh, wake up early and just play the bass for an hour and go to the gym and have some discipline now we just would like to just stay in bed watching netflix yeah. right yeah. so now that i understand that concept like neuroscience things i've been really digging into that because it's, i find it fascinating so now that i understand that i have to force my brain to really step out of my comfort zone if i want to achieve something Mm -hmm. But also, I understood that I have to be compassionate to myself. Mm -hmm. um, and this is a result of knowing myself better, mm -hmm. right? Like this year, I went through a process of deeply understanding and getting to know myself intimately. And now I can say, okay, I'm going to um, stay really on my discipline thing during the week. Mm -hmm. And... I need to disconnect from work, from the gym, from my discipline life at least one day in a week. Yeah. I really, really need that time for myself. Yeah. Uh, that is mental health and physical health. So I am like balancing my life a little bit better. And that to me is discipline, is being consistent 
but also giving me grace to understand and say, okay, uh, it's enough. I'm going to take a nap <laughs> when I need it. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Absolutely. So, yeah, now for me, discipline is, is being able to have a balance in my life. Beautiful. That actually is very close to my definition of uh, it. I look, at, look upon it as the other side of freedom. Yes. The way freedom. I see it, you know, right. freedom doesn't really exist without discipline. I mean, true freedom comes from, it's, you know, it's like the yin and yang, the two, two poles, one doesn't really exist without the other. Right. I also really resonate with the feat of putting ourselves outside our comfort zones because, you know, as paradoxical as it sounds, it feels like true comfort actually comes with a friendship with discomfort. Yes. Actually, right? I was reading the other day, that we release these hormones like oxytocin and when we have a pleasant experience, right? Mm -hmm. But I know that I need to force myself to do some things in order to have that oxytocin release and in order to feel like really, really good, right? Like, for example, going to the gym mm. or practicing for an hour. Yep. Right. I know that at the end of that experience, I'm going to feel super, super amazing. So, yeah, discipline and freedom. Yep, absolutely. And on the flip side, you know, I can say from personal experience, as tempting as the idea of falling back on the couch with, I don't know, a burger and just Netflixing yeah. the whole evening. I mean, I enjoy that yeah. every now and then, too. Yes. I mean, doing that on a regular basis never ends well. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, duh, yeah. um, obviously that's not rocket science. <laughs> it's still surprising at how easy it is to fall for that trap. It is. You know, you, you know before you know it, you're, you're in. Yeah, according to the, the neuroscience people, our brains are primed to do that, to be mm. just in the comfort zone and avoid any danger that we feel might happen to us, mm -hmm. right? Avoid danger, dangerous situations, so... Yeah, absolutely. Um, you've obviously been putting in a lot of work into building a holistic lifestyle for a musician. Yes. <laughs> yes, um, absolutely. Is that something you were always, uh, that was always on your agenda? Oh, no, 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 no. I remember when I was in college, I used to just don't think on myself, on my health because I was in an environment where everything was happening and uh, I used to work, study at the same time and being in a lot of projects at school and traveling and doing videos and recordings and arrangements and a lot of things. So mm. I didn't care about my, uh, my health, right? Mm -hmm. But then I had a couple of um, breakdowns and now I understood that I have to keep a balance yeah. between every area of my life, not only the, the professional part, but also personal and family, everything. Yeah. Is that something we can talk about a little? Do you, do you know when, sure. when, when was the point when you realized, okay, this is not sustainable? Um, I believe it was like in 2019. Mm, so it's pretty recent. I, yeah, yeah, it's recent. I was not doing what I like to do, which is 
traveling and playing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, that is one of my passions, right? Traveling and playing. Beautiful. So I was, yes, I was uh, living a different life. I was fully immersed into teaching, which I love. I love teaching because I learned a lot from my students. Yeah. But I wasn't doing, uh, I, I wasn't playing live and traveling. So I quickly became like frustrated and, and um, yeah, I had like a health crisis. And uh, since then I realized, okay, something I have to change. I have to change something. And uh, after a lot of, like, I think I spent two years really slowing down and getting deep into my soul and getting closer to God as well. And now I can say that I finally, I, I'm starting to, tap into a more balanced life. Mm. For a lot of our listeners, I think they would wonder, because I know for a fact I work with a wide range of collaborators, students, clients, mm -hmm. and it's it's generally a struggle a lot of us are going through. We, we seem to be caught on this hamster wheel of life. You know, we started off with this set of goals. We were told that this is how you do it. Yeah. And then this idea of hard work and hustle and we're into it. Yeah. And at some point we've lost track of what we're doing, why we're doing it. And uh, I know for a fact that a lot of the people I work with have one primary question they can't seem to wrap their head around, mm -hmm. which is where does one start? Because a, a lot of us know that we're caught up in a lifestyle that's not actually in alignment to our goals, but we don't know where to start changing that. What was your first step? Oh, huh. um, well, one of my first steps was acknowledging mm. that I wasn't feeling well yeah. and uh, being vulnerable. Yes, thank you. And having the grace of um, uh, recognize that, I mean, sometimes our ego kind of forbid us to acknowledging, okay, I'm mistaken, mm -hmm. right? Always. But yeah. yes, <laughs> that, that, there is a lot of ego involved in, this, in these things. Oh, yeah. So I learned that okay, I'm going to put my ego aside. I'm going to acknowledge that I'm depressed because mm -hmm. I was. Mm -hmm. I had like two depression crises in my life. Fortunately, I'm absolutely healed from that, I can say. I'm mm -hmm. living my full life happy and blah, blah, blah. But at the time, I, I, I just had to acknowledge, okay, I'm depressed. What can I do? I started listening to a lot of podcasts and YouTube videos from people like psychologists, psychiatrists, neuroscience people, and uh, gurus. Awesome. Uh, I have like a couple of gurus. <laughs> nice. And um, then after acknowledging that I was broke, um, let me think. <laughs> this was like a couple of years ago. Um, well, I, I'm a Christian, not a fanatic, not mm -hmm. a religious person, but I have a private communication with God mm -hmm. and I ask him, I ask him, God, uh, first I, I ask for 
uh, how, what is the word? I'm sorry, I am Colombian. I'm not fluent in, in English. No, 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 <laughs> so I apologize for that. No, please don't apologize. Um, Your English is fantastic. Uh, forgiveness. Forgiveness. Yes, yeah. yes, forgiveness. Yes, mm-hmm. I ask God for forgiveness. Really, like from the bottom of my heart, I acknowledge my mistakes, uh, my sins and everything. And I opened my heart and I was vulnerable to Him. Yeah. And then slowly, slowly I begin to realize like little steps that I could take mm-hmm. in order to heal, right? So one of the things that I heard at that time is a neuroscientist saying that it is good for our brain and for our everything to watch the sunlight at 6 a.m., or mm. first thing in the morning, right? Yeah, because that true. was going to help you with the metabolism and uh, depression and everything. So I started doing that. Amazing. <laughs> and also, uh, well, I have fibromyalgia, chronic pain for the last 20 years or more years. Uh, and I had also a crisis at the same time in 2019. Mm-hmm. I remember that I had to... Uh, Uh, stay in a couch, lying in a couch for two weeks. I couldn't move myself. I couldn't even sit because of the pain that I had. I went to ER because I had a incapacitating pain in my, it was, it was a nightmare. So after those two weeks, I started slowly uh, getting my movement back. So I understood that I had to be super gentle with myself and I had to have a lot of compassion because sometimes we have compassion for other people but we don't have compassion for us for ourselves so right sad. so yeah. I started I started also being compassionate to myself and another thing that I learned is that I have to go at my pace mm. right I had to like not force myself to do a lot of things just to go a step a step. That's me. That's my process. Yeah. I'm an individual person with my own processes. Yes. So I started doing a lot of things, but little by little. And uh, also I asked for help because that is the other thing that some of us are ashamed yep. and we don't ask for help. Yep. But I knew that I had to go to doctors. I went to a lot of doctors. I was in Colombia actually at that time. Mm-hmm. And um, I also have a common sense. <laughs> yeah, that helps. I knew that I had to take, yeah, that helps a lot. I knew that I had to be in a treatment with a psychiatrist. Uh, fortunately, I had a good doctor. She prescribed treatment for like three months. Mm-hmm. I was taking that. But also at the same time, I was doing the other part, like getting up at 6 a.m., going out and look, look at the sunlight, um, going to the gym, do what I could do. Yeah. And... Uh, a lot of mindfulness, yoga, eating a whole food diet, but not diet, just because I don't diet. But I also, fortunately in Colombia, we still cook our meals in, at Amazing. home, right? So yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So then after like three months of taking the treatment, I said, okay, I feel super, super good. Oh, I'm in, during my childhood, 
and teenage, I wasn't a friendly person. I didn't have friends. But now, uh, now I know that it is important to have friends mm. and have a social life. Community. Yes, community. Everything in a balanced way, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I also said, okay, I'm going to be open to meet more people. I moved cities in Colombia. I went to a city in the South, Garzón, where I have a lot of family. So I started going out in the weekends with my family, you know, sharing time with the community. And that also helped me. So as you can see, it is an, a holistic approach. Wow. That that works. Yeah. That is very inspiring. <laughs> Thank you. To end the, that part, after like three months of doing this, I started feeling super, super, super good. And I asked myself, okay, do I need to keep taking this, these pills mm. uh, or, or not? And of course I consulted with my doctors and she said, they said, no, 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 you have to keep taking that. And okay, I'm going to take a lo lower dose, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I was very critical with myself. I mean, I mean, I was really in tune with myself and observing every, every thought, everything in myself. So after like five months, I said, you know what? I feel awesome. I haven't had any, any, any depression, depression thoughts for the last four months, really. Mm -hmm. So I decided, okay, I'm going to stop taking the medication. And, uh, but of course, I kept doing my new habits, like healthy habits, like going out, uh, earthing, and having fun, and also working hard. <laughs> yeah. And uh, now I can say that I, uh, I am completely healed from that. Part. I still have fibromyalgia because that never goes away. I have chronic pain, but I live a happy life. I also, you know what? I also learned not to be attached to, to things, hmm. you know? That is one of the things that I love about Buddhism is the attachment part and also living in the present, living in the moment. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just talking about a lot of things. No, no, that's, that's what we want. That's what we have you on because we want to listen to your story. Yeah. Like those things have helped me to now live happy without, I don't have a house. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I chose to. Me neither. Yeah. <laughs> so I chose to, to now to work in this ship mm -hmm. because I'm getting I'm getting getting paid well and also traveling and I'm getting to travel and me, I'm meeting a lot of people and I'm playing a lot of music like I play every day actually so cool every day I am playing bass so yes cool. so yeah let's see what the future is going to be about but for now I am amazingly happy <laughs> so cool I'm so happy for you that is super inspiring because oh thank you yeah because people you know a lot of people do the research and they learn the concepts yes but not everyone puts in the work it's like music as well right yeah sounds like you really put in the hours to did your research and then implemented the results of yeah. your research right yes 
that is important, yeah. right? My therapist always says, you can't do my work, I can't do your work. It, that kind of sums it up. Right. Yeah, and it's so true. I mean, I, I swear mm. about therapy right. because I, uh, and I'm actually a certified therapist myself. Oh, really? Say, you know, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, wow. Yeah, I'm not licensed, certified, uh, but so I do work as a coach, not a therapist per se. Mm -hmm. And I use them in my teaching concepts. Mm. But uh, I, you know, it's, it's so evident to see, you know, to get to get help and find out more about tools which you can implement that's great right but implementing those tools is something you can never outsource only you can implement those right oh yes that is so true it's um it's very inspiring and very heartwarming oh thank you thank you by the way uh, the word forgiveness it's so ironic not ironic but it's interesting that that, that that's <laughs> the word uh i have that word tattooed on my forearm oh Wow. Yeah, it's interesting. I, it, that word forgiveness <laughs> is, it, I have a very, a very interesting relationship with that word, I think. Uh, hmm. Yeah, I remember someone saying, you know, if you're struggling with something, you're probably going to tattoo it on your arm. And I'm afraid hmm. <laughs> this guy was right. <laughs> I think forgiveness is something I'm really struggling with. I, 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 it's, huh. uh, yeah, huh. it's, uh, I don't think I'm very good at it. Okay, talking about that, that tattooed tattoos, I also I tattooed a, a word that helped me mm -hmm. when I was struggling and it's grateful. Nice. And now every yeah. day, every yeah. day I am grateful. And I noticed that when I start thinking in about the future and I, I become a little bit anxious, mm. but I can stop that immediately by being grateful. So good. So good. Yes. Let's talk about your approach to life and its interrelationships with music, because I know for a fact that it is deeply connected. So here's a question. Did you feel your music transforming at some level when you started living differently? Well, music. Um, I'm going to tell you something. Uh, some years ago... Mm -hmm. I felt like I couldn't, no, I could live without playing music. Interesting. Like in the, the mindset that I was at that time, mm -hmm. I felt like, ah, it, it's going to be okay when, if I don't play music at all. Nice. I can do anything else. Mm -hmm. I can do it. And I was... I was fine with that idea at that time, but I also was struggling a lot with myself. Oh, wait, sorry. There is an alarm. Ah, sorry. Okay, okay. Right. Can you hear me? Yeah, I hear you. Sorry about that. No, no worries. So, uh, <laughs> I, um, oh my gosh, I got, dis got distracted. What I was saying, sorry. Um, you were saying that you got to a point where it felt like you'd be fine not playing music. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Um, so uh, in 2020, 2021, I, I was uh, digging into myself a lot and I started thinking about my purpose in life. Mm. And at the beginning, I didn't have a clue about what my purpose is in this life. But then I knew that it had to do with serving the community. Mm. So how 
I'm as a musician, how can I serve the community, right? That seems something, huh, what can a musician do for the community other than just play music to, to dance or whatever? But as a bass player or as an arranger, I feel like Mm, I have a responsibility to lay down the foundation for the music. For example, as a bass player, you know, bass players, we have the rhythmic and harmonic foundation, right? Mm -hmm. If a bass player is not doing his job, like, accurately, then the music is going to be awful, (laughs) Mm. right? Yeah. So when I'm playing bass, I always think, okay, I'm going to enjoy this because I want the people to feel good. I want people to have a great time listening to this music. I want my colleagues, my, my bandmates, to be comfortable playing their stuff, mm. right? If I'm playing a good bass groove, for example. Absolutely. And also as, as an arranger, like my, my main thing as an arranger is to organize the music yes. in the best way. Yeah in a nice way, in a clear way. Designing. So that the musicians... Huh? Designing. It's like a designer role almost. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, now I serve the community through my music and that is my purpose. Nice. That makes so much sense. Yes. That resonates yes. on so many levels. You know, I, I, had, the, I had the privilege of uh, attending a very intimate small uh, master class inside a room with um, Pat Metheny once oh. way back in the day yeah that was amazing one of the most one of the biggest highlights wow. of my life yeah literally he was like literally sitting next to me holding uh, talking oh about my god it. I know right it, I still get goose pimples thinking Ooh. about it <laughs> it was uh, yes. uh, yeah and uh, it was one of those huge privileges I used to study in this super small college in South Germany and they used to get all these artists down oh. um, and uh, and I also I was his uh, I was his uh, kind of, kind of his escort for it, not escort oh, that came out wrong. Oh. Like his, uh, like, like his, <laughs> ma- like his manager for a day, not manager, but I was like yeah. the student rep, like to making sure his rehearsal rooms uh, were were in order and so. Yeah, on. Um, yeah. I went off on one there, it, but basically, the point I was trying to make is he said something in that seminar which was a complete game changer for me. He said, you know, and this uh-huh. this is a guy who played an average of 300 gigs from 1977 till 1999 300 gigs a year oh yeah wow yeah wow and then wow. <laughs> and then he he cut down 300 gigs to 200 gigs a year because he wanted to have more time for family starting from 99 2000 i think yeah and then he said you know i got to a point in my life a few years back where i realized that it wouldn't matter to me if I never played a single note of music again. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and at the time, it was one of the most confusing things I'd ever heard as a, you know, as a young music student, just you know, putting in ten hours a day practicing piano. Yeah. I was like, what the hell? You know, <laughs> what does that mean? So, yes. Why am I practicing piano for ten hours a day? Yes. And it. Uh, yes. But it took me a couple of years to kind of really wrap my head around what he was getting at. That you know, the music is, you know. Music is not just about music. Right. If you don't see the bigger picture, uh, and I, I would, I would bet uh, that the bigger picture is what you refer to. It's, it's. I'm on. I'm in the same camp. It's 
about service. Yes. At some point, if your music isn't service to something bigger than your ego, uh -huh. then it's, um, you know, we're kind of missing the whole point. That's when we stop becoming musicians, really. Wow. Anyway. That is deep. <laughs> Well, I'm just, I'm just saying the same thing you did, just, you know, in a different uh, bit of a, you kind of said the same thing yourself, didn't you? Well, well, yeah, yeah. I was thinking that, um, um, like in the past I used to feel like, okay, I'm going to play this because it makes me feel good. Mm. But now it's more like, I'm going to play this because it's going to make other people feel good. Yes, that is, that is right? very deep too, yeah. Yeah. Yes. I think, I, I think that makes a lot of sense because we can't really make others feel good before we start feeling good ourselves, right? That's codependency. Exactly. Yeah, so that's exactly. the first step. We have to learn to feel good ourselves before we decide to spread anything. Otherwise, we're spreading huh. half-baked truths around, and that's dangerous. That that's how toxic pedagogies uh, spread into the world. Like teachers who never got the shit together, never got their baggage unpacked, ended up teaching because they were right. frustrated. And uh, oh my god, it's a it's a pattern we want to break. Right. Um, which which brings me to a question I've been curious about for a while now. Why why bass? What made you choose bass as your primary instrument? Oh my gosh! Well, it is simple. Um, I said that I used to be a violinist, classical trained. Mm -hmm. I started in college for four years, mm -hmm. almost graduated from violin. Really? <laughs> but I rem yeah. But uh, well, my main motivation as a violin player was playing at an orchestra, but unfortunately at that time I was studying at a, in a public university uh -huh. in the south of Colombia. And, you know, public universities, they struggle a lot because they are from the government and sometimes the government consider education in the last, the last of their uh, Uh, responsibilities right. <laughs> so the orchestra the chamber orchestra in that university just stopped working they they stopped the process so I didn't have motivation <laughs> at the time so I quit violin mm. but I remembered when I was in high school my dad he he used to like have the student orchestras and he used to uh, organize bands uh, to play in different uh, settings in the school so he needed like every time he needed a, a, a musician to play any instrument he called one of his sons or me like hey uh, Ruben uh, do you want to play the clarinet nice and uh, or the trombone <laughs> so one time my dad needed to uh, put together a band to play rock, rock music. Uh -huh. I was like 14 or something like that. Uh, that's like the perfect age to play rock music. <laughs> he didn't have a bass player. Nobody used to play bass. Uh -huh. So he saw me, he saw me walking around and he said, hey, um, Estercita, my family called me Estercita, would you like to play bass? And I said, well, Sure. <laughs> and I remember that I started uh, I started playing this rock in Spanish, rock in Espanol, mm -hmm. like um, rock in Spanish, actually. <laughs> and I just loved 
the feeling of the bass yeah. in my tummy, mm. like the frequencies that I felt, yeah. and I felt so empowered. Mm. I felt like I was on top of the world. Yeah. And actually, when I, I play rock, I have the same feeling. Nice. I feel so empowered. So years later, I remember that feeling. And when I quit the violin, I said, huh, what if I st- started playing bass huh. and studying bass? Uh, and I did that. <laughs> Still do that. Awesomeness. Do you remember what, what what songs we were playing? Was it was this Colombian rock music? or the- It was at the time... Um, there was a very famous rock band from Argentina called, um, of, what is the name? Dun, 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 dun. So that's Stereo. Mm-hmm. I think I might have actually heard of it. And uh, they were super famous. Amazing. Ah, the Musica Ligera was the song that I learned first and it was amazing. So good. Yeah. Did you have, were there a lot of women playing bass at the time around you? Oh, no. So you were... Were you like the only one? Uh, not the only one. I well, at that time, I only met one mm. uh, female bass player in, in Bogota, and uh, she was my first teacher. Actually, she her name is Natalie Gambert. She's from Swiss, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, for some reason, she was living in, in Bogota in Colombia. So yeah, but at that time, I didn't. I, I don't recall meeting another female bass player. So I'm talking about like tw- 20 years ago, maybe. Did it feel like yeah. um, did it feel like an unconventional role to play? Did you feel conspicuous or did you not give a shit? Uh, no, I knew that there weren't many female musicians in that field. I knew that, of course. But at the same time, because uh, my family, my parents are musicians, mm-hmm. Uh, like, um, how can I say? Like, I never felt playing music, playing any instrument was wrong. Mm. Uh, so yeah, like I, I didn't thought about that actually. I just, I just started playing and studying jazz and all of these things. So, um, like, I didn't give much of a thought. Beautiful. About that, yeah. Was that something that's ever been, has that ever been an issue later on? Did you ever feel, um, correct me, um, this is tricky area for me to talk about as a man, but I'm still curious, have you ever felt discriminated against for being a woman bass player? Well, uh, I remember just one episode many years ago when I started playing uh, tropical music. By tropical music, I mean uh, Latin music mm-hmm. like for parties right. and uh, some tropical cumbia or merengue mm-hmm. I started playing that like 15 years ago and I didn't really know the style yet mm-hmm. you know so I remember that I went to audition to uh, to a band a tropical music band and I remember that the uh, director wasn't kind enough to teach me how to play certain song mm-hmm. and he was kind of rude but other than that time that only time i don't recall feeling discriminated 
But I've heard from a lot of female colleagues, musicians in Colombia, that th there is a lot of discrimination in, in the field for female musicians. And actually, um, I was um, invited for the second time to Colombia to conduct the big band for the yeah. Festival Jazz and Parque, yes. right? I yes. was invited as conductor, arranger, and... Uh, Uh, unfortunately, in Colombia, the, um, the big band uh, ensembles have been uh, only uh, for not not have been only for male, but only uh, male musicians have joined the the big band. Mm. There, there are a few, very, very few women that did that before. Mm -hmm. So this year, this year in September, the Bogota city, um, they created the first all-female big band, not only uh, with women musicians, but also conducted by a woman and arranged by a woman. So, yeah, now I know that there is a lot of discrimination in the field for women musicians. What was it like? I mean, how do you compare the two experiences, conducting a big band exclusively, almost exclusively comprised of males, and then the same thing, almost exclusively comprised yes. of females? Was it different? <laughs> Yes, it was different. It was different because, as I said, uh, these big bands were only male, male, uh, like only composed by male. Right. So men have the opportunity to know how to play in a big band setting, right? Mm -hmm. Like the codes, the style mm -hmm. uh, is different. So now with the with my female colleagues, it was amazing. I mean, the experience was absolutely outstanding. Uh, the results were marvelous. Mm -hmm. Like everybody, everybody was really, really, really like static mm -hmm. for the experience. But also um, now that that is open, now that we know that there are a lot of female musicians, at least in Bogota, uh, willing to play. Uh, jazz in this because this was for jazz al parque. Mm -hmm. Of course, there are a lot of female musicians that play different styles of music. They are very there are a lot of percussionists. You know, female percussionists in Colombia, mm -hmm. amazing, amazing. So now that we have that space open, I hope that we can continue teaching that that experience, right? Like creating very good ensembles mm -hmm. to to keep playing music. What were the attitudes like? They're like, how did it feel? Did you feel a difference in the attitude of the people you were conducting? Mm. Uh, I want to say that. I felt a lot of willingness from the female, my female colleagues to learn and to share and to express themselves mm. through music. Yes. Beautiful. Let's just say that. <laughs> and here, and here's a question and please feel free to, <laughs> uh, to uh, take the third mm -hmm. degree if you prefer. Did he, did he ever feel like any of the participants in the all-male orchestra struggled to accept you as a leader? Yes. Um, yeah, maybe. But I think that it depends on the attitude that, as a female, I have. I am very confident in my skills mm -hmm. 
in my experience, mm -hmm. right? So, yeah. So I, I have also been working on not taking things personal. Right. And I think that it, that changed a lot mm. uh, the perception and how I perceive things. Mm. Like one of the things that I learned, I first learned when I came to the U.S. Uh, to study is to accept when my director says that I am wrong and I have to play this and that, you know, mm -hmm. not taking things personal mm -hmm. makes the difference yeah. many times. Absolutely. Completely agree. Yeah. So when I, when I am conducting a, a male big band, for example, I am confident. I try to address people with respect, but also with clarity, you know, like, saying things directly but kind mm. so yeah so good mm. that is so helpful one of the things i find most inspiring about your demeanor is you're so humble our correspondence has been short but you're like super down to earth <laughs> grounded and humble <laughs> I would one would not think you're used to conducting full-size <laughs> orchestras all over the world which you have written arranged and composed for it's you know no one would <coughs> think that is the level of work you constantly engage yourself in is uh, I guess my question is because I I find myself surrounded since I work in very diverse uh, circles in different parts of the world. One of the things I really struggle with sometimes is gauging and understanding mm. my colleagues' behaviors. Because oftentimes, uh, you know, in my experience, the more accomplished a musician, yeah. the more the more down to earth they tend to be. But I've also seen mm. exceptions to that rule, and I've also seen people get you know constantly stumbling over the ego. Yeah with no sense of grounding on what appropriate behavior is, especially when some form of conflict has arisen. And conflict always arises yeah. in the rehearsal room in one way or the other, most mm -hmm. hopefully in a healthy way uh, and sometimes not so in a healthy way. Yeah. What are your pointers to your fellow musicians on growing that skill and what's the <coughs> what's the basic compass here to follow? Why is being humble and down-to-earth a good thing? Well, mm, one of the words that just come to my my mind is compassion. Mm. I believe mm. that being compassionate to my colleague is key to be able to understand and help the music. Yes. Because at the end, we are trying to make music in, in the best way, yes. right? Yes. So what is music in like in an ensemble? Everybody has to do their best in order to have a pleasant music song or whatever that you are trying to convey. So yes. very often I try to put myself in the shoes of my colleagues, right? But also knowing mm -hmm. the my role. Like, what is the bass role? What is the piano role? What is the singer role? Mm. Right? So, again, I am at service, mm -hmm. at the service of the, of the band, of the singer, right? So, yeah. like, now that I am doing this job 
just as a bass player. No, I am not conducting anything. I am not arranging for this. I'm just a bass player. <laughs> so I, to me, that is a humbling experience because it's not about me. Yeah. It's about the music. Yeah. It's about the singer. Yeah, so compassion and uh, common sense as well. And also, again, not taking things in a personal way. Yeah. I, I, that, that sounds like fantastic information, fantastic advice. Mm-hmm. I, with your permission, though, I would like to delve a little deeper. Um, what do you do when you're dealing with people whose self-assessment skills are so poor that you have no choice but to be critical mm. in your assessments? Yes. Because that happens sometimes. Yeah. How do you handle those situations when it's very evident that someone has is lost as far as the self-assessment skills are concerned, especially when it's for the music. Yes, actually, I've been thinking these days about that <laughs> um, because, yeah, some some things that we are living here in the in the ship, in this job. Mm-hmm. There is another part of being a conductor that I had to work on, and I still I am still working on. That is being confident. Because again, I have the knowledge and the experience. So mm-hmm. yeah, be, just being confident and speaking clearly and not being afraid of pointing out mistakes and uh, have a solution because mm-hmm. it's not only saying, okay, you are wrong, but what can you do to fix that? Right. Right. So, so constructive criticism. That is the first thing. Yes, yes, of course. Um, it's hard. It, it's hard to also, again, balance, right? Absolutely. Being able to, exactly, to point out mistakes, but in a respectful way. Yeah. And also try to fix that. Right. Again, balance. <laughs> I distinguish destructive and constructive criticism mm-hmm. uh, with solutions being being the key word here you know criticism just for the sake of criticism doesn't exactly. help anyone exactly. you're actually offering a solution yeah that's actually problem solving yeah of, uh, of course yeah but here's another thing I, i'm also curious about you know the manner in which criticism is received is also kind of dependent on cultural nuances so do you find yourself you know do you find the reception of your criticism being taken differently depending on which part of the world you're in or the kind or the cultural background of the musicians you're working with is that something you take into consideration yeah or do you find it being like different depending on the situation yes uh taking into account that different is not bad or good different is just mm-hmm. different right <laughs> but right. yes okay. yes yes I, I because i've been working uh, in different cultures, Colombia, uh, the United States, and also I went to India to teach teenagers and young people. Like? <laughs> it was so different yeah. because in India, uh, people talked in a different way. They like yes. to argue a lot. <laughs> they, I, at the beginning, I thought that they were uh, just fighting with each other. With, it is not. They just talk like that, and I am used not to talk like that. Anyways, so I've I've been working with a lot of cultures, and uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> I gotta laugh. When I that. <laughs> now I, I develop a thicker like, skin. Yeah, I, 
some some oh yeah no, yeah That's some a, people yeah. enjoy that some people actually really think yeah. i i struggle with it big time because <laughs> i'm like i'm actually quite quite european yes. in my mindset when it comes to conversation i'm like you know let's find a solution and let's do a debate but hmm. you know let's stick to stick right. to the facts and try and find like a constructive rational conclusion <laughs> I keep finding myself in situations yes. in India where I'm like, what the hell is going on? Everyone's yes, shocked exactly. No clue but again, compassion comes into play, so, right? Um, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I won't lie. Sometimes I run out of compassion. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, I mean, some, yes. sometimes there's a lot of compassion, I feel like, that's being demanded of me. And maybe I'm, I'm an arrogant whatever but uh and, and i'm open to that possibility needless to say but it is tricky that which is why i'm asking you got to re realize like i've spent mo all my adult life in germany 20 years and all my professional life in germany and in germany like uh, people yes. are well that's the whole different different extreme you know everyone's so stoic and just yes. so direct and in your face by international standards germans are rude yes. that's like an established fact like normal G german behavior is just mostly rude by international standards um the degree of straightforwardness but but for us yes. that's just normal yes you know? that's just yeah yes exactly but uh, i've had i've had my experience to, yeah. to kind of learn to dial it down I know. but um, in india for example it's like no one's everyone's walking on mm -hmm. eggshells i feel like no one wants to address you know elephants in the room are just don't exist um but anyway i, I feel like i hijacked mm -hmm. the conversation my apologies mm. back to you yeah. please please keep going on what you were saying <laughs> we were talking about oh yeah like how to deal with cultural um how can i say um, uh, cultural differences, nuances, yes. and how to how to engage in critical, uh, in constructive criticism. Constructive, yeah. Culture. Yes. Uh, my God, it's so 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 hard, so difficult, right? Um, again, yeah. I think respect and compassion, and uh, putting myself in the other shoes, right? Mm. Um, that is key to try to find the, a common ground, balance, and uh, what is the ultimate goal as well, right? Because so often we, we focus on the small details, small things. Yeah. But what's the big picture? Here's a question, Esther. Uh, the last orchestra you conducted, or the big band, how many members? The that big band was about twenty five. So, how do you put yourself in twenty five pairs of shoes at the same time? How do you deal with the demands of that? <laughs> um, <clears throat> experience, <laughs> yeah. Um, wow. Well, hmm. I try to open myself to um, feedback. Mm -hmm. Like, I love working on a collaborative ambience, so, uh, mm -hmm. but I also know my role. My role is organized, to organize. Uh, right. I see being an arranger, being a bass player, and also being a, a conductor as mainly organized. So I have right. that all, always in my mind, 
I don't like not understanding what is happening. I like structure. Mm. I like structure. Even though if I am playing free jazz, mm. there has to be a, yeah. some sort of structure, right? Yep. Yes. But it takes an enormous amount of resilience to to nurture that degree of confidence. And it also takes an enormous amount of dedication to nurture that confidence authentically because you can't fake that kind of confidence. That's the kind of confidence that really has to be part of your hmm. system, right? Well, so, I've been working a so lot I, on my confidence. Exactly. <laughs> yes, how does one work on that? What are your, what are your pointers for us? Well, again, I, I'm into neuroscience a lot mm -hmm. and spirituality a lot. Mm -hmm. So every day I read or I listen to a podcast nice. of people that talk about that, those topics. And I am a deeply, I, deep, I always am analyzing myself a lot. Mm. Like what are my thoughts? Why I am getting triggered by this or that? And yep. uh, last, yep. last year, I found out that when I feel triggered by something, by somebody, is often because of my ego. So I like, like putting the salt in the wound <laughs> and mm. understanding what is happening, being honest with yeah. myself, but also how can I improve? Yeah. And a lot of compassion, my friend. <laughs> yeah, that seems seems to be the word of the hour. I tend to get triggered a lot when uh, when people act in manner in a manner that reminds me of things I don't like about myself. Hmm. That's been my biggest revelation, amidst many other things. And it's it's a bitter pill to swallow, by the way. It's not a really yeah. easy one to accept. Yeah. Um, not implying how it works for others. It's just something I've seemed to have come to a mm -hmm. conclusion to. Mm -hmm. Um. We've been talking for a while. I want to respect your time. Tell us a little about how, how the next few weeks are looking for you. Well, the next week until March are going to be all about um, keeping my good habits. Mm -hmm. It is not easy. It is not easy to live on a ship because things happen. It's a very active life if you want. <laughs> but also mm -hmm. you have free time a lot of free time mm -hmm. and um, you can get alcohol <laughs> very cheap for cheap. Mm -hmm. Like so, and there mm -hmm. are a lot of friends that you make in the, in, in the ship and uh, you can hang out at any time with people and time flies and yep. right. <laughs> and we are yeah. going to ports every, almost every day you get to get off and, go to the beach and have piña coladas and you know it's a lot of spare time but also uh well we work we, we also work <laughs> but with this I'm, I'm trying to say that uh it is hard to keep a balanced life and a productive life if that is your goal if you are not interested in um upgrading yourself then it's fine but I have to be very conscious about my discipline, about my days, my time, what am I going to do now? What, uh, at what time can I go to the gym when it's not crowded? 
you know so i've been I've, i'm gonna be working on those habits practicing uh, going to the gym eating healthy because here you can eat whatever thing you well almost whatever thing you want there are a lot of options mm-hmm. sometimes when you have a lot of options in your life you try to uh, take advantage of it but sometimes it is better mm-hmm. to just to stick to a couple of options, right? Indeed. Again, it de- it depends on your goals in life, and it depends on your state of mind. Yep. Maybe your age, your age also. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but for me, for me, it's about being grateful for this dream job. This is one of my dream jobs, but also taking advantage of it and uh, keep studying, keep growing. Sounds like temptations abound in a job like that. I can relate. Yeah. I haven't flown on the <laughs> ship yet, but I've uh, I played a few long-term gigs at uh, dinner shows, uh-huh. which went on, which were also like three-month gigs with mm. you know free alcohol, free gourmet food, yes. and just hang all day long. Yes. So it's just those six hours of showtime, and for the rest of the day, you basically do whatever the hell you want. And exactly, it's a constant oscillation. It's like one pole to another. You know, mm. the idea of six hours of intense work where you have to be like hundred and there and there's the rush of adrenaline mm. as well yeah and then true. the rest of the day it's like nothing to do to do whatever you feel like it's yeah. actually a lot more to handle than people uh, tend to assume yes. So. Yes. You sound very disciplined, though. From what I gather, you sound like the kind of person who wakes up early, gets their son, goes to the gym, practices space. Is that what your lifestyle looks like? Not all the time. Not all the time. Now that I that's what you aim for. Well, that is my, um, I feel good with this, with this life, with my life. Yeah. But also, again, it all depends on you. Every person has their own journey, their own um, things to fix, their own demons. Oh, yeah. Right. So it depends on each, each of us. Indeed. Do, do you miss conducting though? Do you miss arranging and composing and conducting? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But you know what? There is another lesson that I've learned that is nothing lasts forever. So true. So in, oh yeah, that's a tough one. In the past, I used to get anxious because I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing. But now mm. I think of... First of all, you can't have it all. Mm. Second of all, I am grateful for having this job. It's not going to last forever, I know. And I have my plans of doing many other things. But I'm going to enjoy this while it it lasts. I know what is to not having a job, a steady job. This is a steady job for six months. So I'm not worrying awesome. about how am I going to pay the rent because I have a steady job that pays me well yeah. in this moment. But I know, again, this is not going to last forever. So I'm going to get a conducting job in next year, probably. Awesome. I'm going to arrange more things. Yeah. So uh, sometimes I worry, of course, but now I always think okay thanks god for this job and this is not gonna last forever so awesome 
Yeah. We are coming towards the end and I do want to respect your time, but I do remember you telling me about how you feel addressing uh, addressing uh, the economics of the music industry oh, yeah. and the big differences oh, yeah. between the so-called industrial musicians and the more regular everyday working musicians, independent musicians. Yeah. The, the, the fact that that is something that's been bothering you for a while. Do you want to share your thoughts on this? Uh, well, it, uh, again, it depends. Um, I think I'm choosing a hard path <laughs> because as mm -hmm. I said one of my passions is traveling mm -hmm. and playing or conducting right? right and that comes with some perks of not having a steady job for example I had it mm -hmm. I had it unfortunately I wasn't able to travel so I think that frustrated me a lot so when, when I was starting my second crisis in 2019, I started listening to some podcasters and they said, okay, just picture what would be your dream job. Yeah. Visualization. And the first, yes, the first thing that I thought about was I love traveling. I love, I mean, not traveling for the sake of traveling. Yeah. It's just, I love getting to know different cultures, different music, food, mm. dances. I really thrive into that. Awesome. So now that I have one of my dream jobs, that is this job, <laughs> where I get to play bass and travel the world. Amazing. Um, yeah, so now I get to save money and uh, I don't have to worry about money for six months, right? Mm -hmm. But what is going to happen after I, I, well, I, I was living in LA right before coming to this, this job, right? Okay. I'm going to go back there. Mm -hmm. Um, I know a lot of musicians there, a lot of colleagues from Berkeley, mm -hmm. I know that they are struggling a lot, but I also know there are a lot of opportunities there. Right. It's a hard, it's a hard work. You have to really, really, really work super, super hard. Mm. But I am confident that I'm going to find my way up. <laughs> what, what do you think yes. the core of the crux of this issue, like these struggles right, right. musicians have to keep putting up with, where do you think the roots of this issue lie? Because no. honestly, uh, I, I, no. I, I interact with a lot of musicians who, uh, and, and I, I'm not considering you as one of them because you seem to have a positive mindset. But I've noticed that a lot of musicians seem to be creating the self-fulfilling prophecy of a very... Uh, a life full of struggle and pain and sure life comes with its struggle and pain they're inherent parts but it's like this whole struggling artist is still a very romanticized image mm -hmm. um is that something you've ever yes. thought about do you think we are responsible for uh being part of the problem musicians themselves <laughs> oh wow uh i just want to say this years ago mm -hmm. i I didn't like to think about money. Mm -hmm. It's not that I wasn't worried about it, but I was so focused on the music that I kind of 
Um, uh, maybe I used to think that I sh- uh, how can I say this? I take your time. Ah, uh, if I thought about making money, I would be uh, not a true artist. Mm-hmm. If this makes sense. Absolutely. But now I don't think that I make art. I think as uh, as a musician that provides a service. Yes. Again, this is just my personal opinion mm-hmm. based on my personal experience. Yeah. A while ago, I was looking at jobs like web page for jobs for musicians in the US. Mm-hmm. And uh, I realized that performers like me, we are the lowest paid people in the music industry. And we spend yep. our time working on our skills, honing our skills. Exactly. And uh, we are the ones that play the music. Yeah, but and we are the worst paid. Exactly, and the music industry people, the the H and R's, the, the the other part of the music industry, they get paid very very well. Indeed. So I found out that to be uh, how can I say ah ah I can't think on the word ah. Uh, Ah, okay. I'm sorry. I'm missing the a word here. That's all right. But I That's said, all right. I said, uh, what can I do to better my pay? My pay, right? Yeah, absolutely. That makes total sense. So, uh, what? Tell me. It, it, no, I was just saying. It's I'm intimately familiar. You know, uh, my bachelor's degree was at a college which was a mixed course of uh, music business and music and music and mm. uh, we did okay. have two different streams mm. so we had the the folks who were specializing in music business uh, mm-hmm. and had to do a couple of musical projects and then we had the musicians who were musicians but had to do a few music business courses and students the full-time music business mm-hmm. students a lot of whom were my musicians it was so evident that they're going to be way more successful financially in the next few years and that that has been true mm. and uh, some of my colleagues since then a lot of them even quit music because the finances just weren't sustainable anymore at some point mm. and i think it's a mix of poor information where the you know the uh, this romanticized idea of the starving artist is being sold as the true deal of the real deal yes probably and also artists not informing themselves and getting a reality check on the fact that hey if i'm you know there's it's one thing to play music as a hobby but if i am a professional artist i am an entrepreneur by default yes right and that comes with its own risks it comes with its own um responsibilities it uh-huh. also comes with its list of initiatives that i have to take on my own this is, that is it's, true. it's basically a business it's a business yeah. and i do have to run that business That's and true. i have to be proactive in running that business that is true 
Right, and it feels like information, like like generations of musicians going to college, yes. leaving with a degree in their hands, but without the most vital part. Yes, you know puzzle, what? Which is I, you're I, you're an entrepreneur. You know, I, go make a living. This this is your skill. That is but true. No one's gonna call you. No one's calling you. You're gonna oh have to go God. find. Your, <laughs> that is so you, true. You're gonna have to. You have to build your life. Yeah, actually, um, the other day I was thinking that it would be nice if I was told about these things when I was in school. Yeah. But again, I chose the performer and arranging side of the music, right? Mm -hmm. Other people choose the music business thing. Mm -hmm. And... Mm -hmm. uh, it would be awesome if there is a combination of both so Ideally, that the exactly. musician that is studying music purely, the musician that is exactly. putting on the time every freaking day, practicing scales and chords, it would be nice mm. if we were told, hey, you have to be an entrepreneur if you want to have a successful career you have to do this and that because sometimes we don't know but at the same time it is our responsibility to inform ourselves of the things yes. that we should be doing you know what often i see in social media these posts of colleagues children performers um mm -hmm. um kind of talking bad because they have to fill out paperwork, they have to be organized in the business mm -hmm. aspect. Mm -hmm. They just complain. I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't be doing that. But hey, yeah. guess what? This is real life. Yeah. Right? Indeed. Yeah, absolutely. There are some things that we have to do even though we wouldn't like doing that. But well. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, yeah. Speaking as a son of two doctors, you know, they have to do their taxes too. They have to work with accountants. They have to figure out their loyal, their legal stuff. You know, that's yeah. not part of practicing medicine either. But, you know, that is right. shit we need to deal with. So yeah. <laughs> it, it feels like information that often gets... Uh, bypassed esther yes. i feel like uh, we could uh, i want to respect your time oh you, have <laughs> you have uh, you have officially qualified for what i call the intercontinental drive status a list of guests <laughs> with whom i would like to go on an intercontinental drive some days just so we can oh, keep continuing the chat to. yes <laughs> i know absolutely. right the last question I, I would like to ask you before you leave it's like a mission question of sorts uh, this um, the name of this podcast is a reference to an ancient Indian act of burning things away in a sacred fire. Uh, oh. And uh, if if you want, if this resonates with you, is there anything you would like to throw away into a sacred fire if you were in front of one today? Oh, my God. Uh, I would like to throw away my ego. My, yes. Um, That's a big one. You sure you want to throw in all of your ego? Well, not all. It is healthy Sorry. to have some peace, some, but some the majority, the majority, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. my insecurities, my, yeah. yeah, all my negative parts. Yes. 
yeah, seems to be general consensus. <laughs> Thank you so much, Esther. This was an absolute pleasure, oh an absolute honor. Thank you so Thank much for making this you. happen. So, no, know, no, no, no. Audience is even working for like four. How many weeks have been trying? Have we been like, I, I don't trying know. to get this day done? <laughs> it seems like today. This morning yeah, yeah. I was writing with my laptop in deck eight, but suddenly yeah. my laptop just froze. I don't know why. Maybe oh, because it's super shit. cold today in New Orleans. So I had to connect with my phone, but we did it. <laughs> Thank you. We did, it. For, we did it. For asking me to do this. It was very enlightening. And I was listening really? to some of your podcasts and I really love the 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 the, the things that you are doing. Really, Thank really. You. Thank, Thank you. you. I appreciate that. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for the questions. Absolutely. Anytime. Okay. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to stop recording here. Uh, gratitude from the bottom of my heart for listening to the very end. Please consider taking a minute to subscribe to our shows so you know when the next episode is out. This is a labor of love, one I hope snowballs into one that's sustainable in its attempt to support independent thought and authentic relating. And having you as a regular member of our audience is what makes that a realistic prospect. Much love and talk soon. Just another voice